Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking, a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Episode of the Hacker Factory podcast. This episode, I'm excited to have Tanya Janik on. on. Uh, I've been following Tanya for years, and we got to meet in person for the first time during B Sides Las Vegas last year. Although it was very, very brief, but after knowing each other for several years, we finally got to meet. And I've been intending to have her on the show because back before we even listened, I did the Uncommon Journey podcast. We had her as a guest, and she was an awesome guest. And the focus of the show is trying to help people get started in cybersecurity and. And the, the best guests are the ones that are really into mentoring and helping others get started. And, uh, couldn't think of a better guest to have on. So welcome to the show, Tanya. Thank you so much for having me, Phil. This is great. Yeah, it's great to, great to finally have you on. So how is your new year going so far? It is good. I'm joining the gym. It's finally happening. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah, it's good. And I'm writing. I've made a new commitment to myself to write my book faster. So yeah, oh, cool. things are good. Any idea when your book will be coming out? If I can get my butt to the schedule and, and do it to the schedule, it should come out in time for Christmas next year or oh, this okay. year, the 2023 oh. Christmas. Awesome. That's good. So I have to, you have to let me know when that comes out. Absolutely. So for the, for the people that are, are, are joining us that may not know of you, could you kind of uh, tell us about yourself? Absolutely. So I used to be a software developer and I switched into application security because I found it just, I found it fascinating and I got to hang out with devs all day. And when I decided, when, when I was young, I started programming and most of my aunts and uncles are software developers. And so when I, I decided what I wanted to take in college, my parents were like, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, I like all the other software developers, the best of all the people in all my classes. And so I was like, oh, I get to work in security but mostly I hang out with devs. I'm like, this is such a super win. Um, and so I, I speak and write about it a lot. Yeah, we just kind of mentioned a while ago, I just mentioned your new book, but uh, could you mention your current book that's been out for, for a while now? Absolutely. So I wrote a book called Alice and Bob Learn Application Security. And it is the book that I wish I could have had put into my hands in 2014, because that's when I decided I'm switching careers. I got a professional mentor. I started just reading every single book I could get my hands on. And there were no books about AppSec. And there's, there is a really good book by this guy named Julian about, you know, how to do a more secure type of DevOps development. And there's another one by Laura Bell and a bunch of other people about how to do agile development more securely, but there wasn't one. I want to work in AppSec what the heck is that and how do I go do it? Um, and so that's what I tried to create, full of silly jokes. Very cool. So why don't you kind of share with the listeners your story, kind of where you started. Absolutely. Um, so I had a not usual upbringing of being born in the 70s and having all of my family constantly give me computers. 
Um, like when I was eight, my uncle made me a computer that would talk to me and say my name. Uh, both my aunts are computer scientists, and one of them was the first computer scientist to graduate in Ontario. That's a place in Canada. That's my accent. So when I say aboot at some point, you'll all know why. <laughs> 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 um, and so I decided, like, I, I took all the computer classes in high school, and I was already programming tons of stuff. So I play guitar, so obviously I had to code how to play guitar, and then like a tuning program and all sorts of stuff. And so when it, I decided what I was going to take in college and university, I got accepted to everything I applied to. But I was like, oh, you know what? Programming's super fun, and there's apparently lots of jobs. Um, and, you know, and I hear it pays well. And then I graduated in the year 2000, which is when, <laughs> which is when the bubble burst very much for tech, but I still managed to find a job and, and move in to doing software development. And so I did software development for quite a while. And in 2007, I took a job where I was going to write this really super cool um, search algorithm. So this was before Google had overtaken everything that ever existed. Like they were very popular, but it was for an internal thing that we were doing. Um, and then I guess my test scores were really interesting. That's what I'm going to leave it. And so I ended up getting put into a top secret bunker managing, um, uh, how do I wear this, counterterrorism stuff, which was really very, like I learned a lot. I got to learn all about, you know, IT security. I got to learn about basically how the world's a much scarier place than I realized. And after maybe a year and a half of that, I bowed out and I went back to software development because I'm like, I don't have nightmares because of what I do for work. I don't want to see terrifying things. I don't want to see pictures of people that are dead. I don't want to see people that are murdered. I, maybe, it, and I thought honestly, Phil, like I'm not tough enough for this. Yeah. You need a tougher person and I'm a, I'm a soft person and there are lots of spaces for soft and sensitive humans on this planet. But then fast forward to maybe 2014 and, you know, I, I was doing software development. I was still like super loving it. And I was in a band. I was not, I was not wrestling bears. So it's not as cool as you, but <laughs> I was in a band and this other guy in my office was in a band too. And he was a penetration tester. And so obviously we instantaneously became friends and had to see each other's bands play because that's all you could ever do, of course. Um, and so he eventually convinced me that I should become a pen tester and he would mentor me and he taught me so many things. Um, and someone invited me to join this thing called OWASP, the Open Web Application Security Project. And unbeknownst to me, there's this community in my city where for free, they would teach me how to hack things, how to build more secure things. Um, and so I joined OWASP and it's like my whole life changed. Um, it, Phil, I don't know if, if you're a part of OWASP or if you've had a lot of experiences with them, but so. yeah. Okay, so I think that I might have an incredibly positively biased view because like the chapter in my city, uh, which is Ottawa, Canada, where I was living, just like the most wonderful, generous, kind, helpful human beings ever. And like all of them want you to work in AppSec. <laughs> and they like would mentor me, um, they would teach me, they'd be like, oh, Tanya's interested in code review. Maybe one of us could like teach that next month for OWASP. And so I joined 
the local OWASP chapter, then I started going to international events and I met this amazing human named Nicole Becker and we started the OWASP DevSlop project, so Sloppy DevOps, DevSlop. Um, and I met Nancy Garisha and all these other just like ridiculously amazing human beings where I'm like, I can't believe they let me in here. Don't they know I'm riffraff? <laughs> um, yeah, and so I just, I started speaking at conferences and I had this open source project that I started streaming stuff. And then Microsoft reached out to me and said, hey, do you want to come join our developer advocate team? And I was like, what's that? Like, I'm, you know, I'm an AppSec nerd. Like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, you go and you speak at conferences and you write blogs and you just like say you're from Microsoft when you do it. And I was like, that's a job. <laughs> what? I've been doing that for free for years. <laughs> they're like, we'll even pay for your hotel. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, like, it was so magical, Phil. And I, at first I thought the guy was like prank calling me or something. Like, is this ridiculous? And he's like, yeah, this guy, like we interviewed him and he told us we should hire you instead of him. So now we're calling you and I'm friends with that person. Um, and yeah, so I just, and then I was like traveling the planet, Phil. It was so awesome. And then I got to also, so Microsoft is a very security positive company. Like they're, they take it very seriously. Um, so I would never have to like battle if I had a security thing, I'd say, oh, like, could we, do? and then they would just say yes. And I wouldn't have to fight for like five weeks to get a simple, they would just be like, of course it's more secure. We should do it. I was like, what's happening? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I remember I, I report a security bug, Phil, and they're like, oh, thanks. Or, or as a, a security incident, I was like, this is happening. I think this might be a thing. They're like, oh, thank you for telling us. We're, we're on it. And they already knew. And then they pushed the fix to prod like 30 minutes later. I'm like, where wow. am I? And why was I not always here? <laughs> just that <laughs> culture, like with AppSec, previously I'd like just battle and battle. And anyway, um, and then while I was at Microsoft, they kept talking to me about scaling. They're very obsessed with the idea of scaling. They're like, yes, you can travel constantly, but what if you wrote more and flew less? What if you streamed more and traveled less? Like, what if we were nicer to Tanya's body <laughs> and not make her live on an airplane? And like, what if, you know, cause there's other ways that you can teach more and more people. And so that's why I started Cyber Mentoring Monday, which we'll talk about soon. And that's why I started my blog and then I wrote enough blog posts. People were like, well, what if you wrote a book? And Microsoft's like, yes, that's scaling. And I started this online streaming show. They're like, yes, that's scaling. And then I was like, I'm going to quit and start my own company. And they're like, oh, that's not the scaling we met. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they're so positive, Phil. They're so supportive. Like lots of Microsoft employees sent me some of my first customers and like lots of them that have really big accounts would retweet my book and retweet my little academy and like they're very very supportive but they're like oh man we pressured her to scale too much <laughs> that's awesome that's a very very cool story i didn't know know your background so that's kind of good to, to know that story so pretty interesting though i'm sure it's made, made you a better application security person working in the pen pen testing side you because know, a lot of appsec people they don't understand the area they can write secure code and stuff but someone like your background, you're going to understand why these different vulnerabilities and OWASP top 10 are, are risky. Yeah. I actually was only a pen tester for about a year and a half, Phil, and yeah. I made my boss crazy. Like he <laughs> went, 
so he, like he sent me on the first pen test and I would just I just kept telling the devs what I found. I'd be like, hey, you know, I found this thing. Can we talk about it? And I'd tell them about it. And then sometimes he's like, why am I hearing about you pair programming with some dev? Just blow their <laughs> shit up and leave. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, but he just needed a little help with this. And it was fine. And then, uh, then I started doing consulting, like, outside of work with permission. Um, and I remember I, I met with the client and they're like, okay, so in three months we'll be ready for our pen test. I'm like, oh, can I come now? And I'll just, I'll scan your network. I'll scan what you have so far. And we could maybe just do a little whiteboarding exercise. And I could just ask you some quick questions, also known as threat modeling. And then I got them to, you know, change their design a bit and like do a whole crap ton of patching and some other stuff. And so then by the time I came back to do the pen test, I would only find mediums and below because they fixed all the scary stuff. Right. Um, and my boss was just like, what is your problem? Like, because they make money off of showing up, you know, obliterating the app so that we look very smart. And he's like, I can't have you going around not having highs or criticals. I'm like, well, there were highs and criticals. They fixed them. And he's just like, yeah. ah. <laughs> so I feel bad for that boss. He, he tried. Yeah. Well, the way you're doing it was a good way. I think that's really what we need to look at more on a broader scale because, you know, if you're coming in and testing things and they get fixed, that's the thing. Because one of the things that's kind of frustrating as a pen tester is when you have those certain clients that you go in and pen test, you come back a year later and the same things are vulnerable. They're doing it for that checkbox. Yes. <laughs> that's actually like part of why I didn't like about pen testing because I wouldn't know what happened after. And I, I have, I'm really bad at saying goodbye as well. And so yeah. if they emailed me, I'd email them back. My boss is like, we don't get paid for that. Please stop. <laughs> um, and so with AppSec, you get to, even if you're consulting, you you can kind of have like a retainer where they can phone a friend or, or whatever, where you don't have to completely let go. <laughs> yeah, I, I must sound so silly, but I just, I, I found like when they wouldn't fix stuff, I was like, but then it's like my work here didn't matter. Yeah. I think it's kind of the approach you take with the people too, because, you know, sometimes security people can be kind of scolding and you know when you go in and you they realize that you're a partner trying to help them fix things i think they're more accepting and, and more likely to fix those things when they know they got someone to help them instead of just telling you're doing everything wrong yes i also i worked in qa when i was in college for a bit so i worked at a startup company writing software and then for um two semesters i did qa and I learned a lot about delivering bad news without making everyone really angry at you, actually. And then when I graduated, um, it was in 2000 when the bubble burst. And then I worked at a computer repair store for like nine months in between software development jobs. And I got really good at delivering bad news in a way where no one yelled at me. And so then when I started doing pen testing, I'd say, hey, so I found a thing. Can we talk about it? And I remember my mentor saying, you might get really, really, really excited when you find a big bug. It is super important. You do your happy dance when they can't see. So you're excited because you've been like smashing away at this for four hours and you finally find something. Go to the bathroom and happy dance. Be totally excited. Then put on a somber face and come out and say, so I, you know, I need to talk to you about something. I found something. I'm kind of concerned. And he's like, it's super important because this is their baby. And you're telling them their baby is broken. You've got to tell them it very nicely. Um, and I, that is such a super important lesson. And uh, yeah, mentors sharing stuff like that with you that they might have learned the hard way, I think is important. Yeah. 
That's a good lesson to learn too, because I'm you know, thinking back to what you mentioned earlier, why can't you start Microsoft to begin with? But you know, those are the kind of lessons that you learn when you're working with people that don't fix things right away. You things you're working with customers and in environments that maybe they don't do things the right way. And you kind of see those things and then when you get into somewhere that that does it the right way, you can appreciate it, but you just kind of learn from those things, those difficult things. I've I've had a bunch of people ask me for career advice, like over the many years. And um, a thing I get asked a lot is when people are going to go work in AppSec. So everyone wants to work at Fang, like Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, Microsoft, et cetera, like the really, really, really big names where they're doing really super cool AppSec. Let's just be clear, like super off the charts, awesome sauce. And they're like, if I go work at this, you know, company with lots of legacy crap where their AppSec program's not very good, if I'm going to do this or that, like, is that a bad career move? And in my opinion, both are good choices. But if you're in a place where their AppSec is total garbage and their apps are, you have the ability to make huge positive changes. Like everything you do is amazing every day if you are improving stuff. If you join Microsoft and you're trying to improve their AppSec program, like, because it's already so ridiculously amazing. It's like, so what is it that you think you could come up with, right? Like, it's harder for you to make your mark and and make a huge positive impact. And although I love, love, loved working at Microsoft, I wouldn't want to have, I would not have wanted to skip working at places where things were not perfect. Because when it taught me to appreciate people that are like, oh, that's insecure, I'll fix it. I'm like, oh my God, you're the best. Um, but also, <laughs> I just so that I I know that I can make good stuff happen. It feel I don't know about you, but it feels really mm-hmm. good to me when I'm like, yes, this client is safe now. Um, I like that. Yeah, that's good. And then the customer likes it, and you get return business, and then you, you know once you get them, you know, kind of trained right, then it makes your job easier, and then it makes them more secure. Yes, yes, I have a. I have a friend named Akira Brand, and I saw her do this presentation, um, I think a month ago. And she she's new to AppSec, and she talked about each thing. And after each thing, she'd go, win! <laughs> Just like throughout, she's like, we're going to have so much win. And she'd like, look, she's like, win, win! The whole time, she's like, every, like, extra big thing, like new good thing you do. It's just so much more win. And sometimes I think that maybe you and me or other people who have been doing this a long time, we forget that each one of these things is an improvement to their overall security posture. Like every change we convince them to do um, is, is them getting closer to a safer state. Yeah. And uh, Kev, uh, what would you, because I know you mentor a lot of people and help a lot of people, uh, a lot of our listeners, that's what they come to the show for. So if someone's wanting to get into AppSec, what would you recommend? Okay, so when I got into AppSec, I found it really hard. And as such, I have personally worked hard to make it easier. That came out strangely as a sentence, but anyway. Um, so very biased answer, I would join the We Hack Purple community. It is free and we have free courses that are introductory uh, and then some about application security, secure coding, how to secure infrastructure as code, etc. Um, and we have events regularly. So we have event, we have an event coming up in February about privacy. We have an event next week about vulnerability management using Defect Dojo. So we have regular events and all the things are free in the community. So you can meet new people, 
you can start with the beginner stuff so that you build up and up and up your knowledge. You can attend all the events for free. Sometimes we will share events that aren't free and we'll put like, this is an external event. So we hack purple, but we think it's awesome, which is why we're sharing it. But PS, it's not free. Um, but all the things that we do inside the community are free. And I am super biased, but I think it's a great place to start learning <laughs> because I tried to make it that way. We also have, um, we have an academy with slightly more formalized courses uh, with certifications that are not widely recognized, but way better than nothing. Um, and then we have a newsletter uh, and a podcast called We Are Purple Podcast, Not Surprising. And so all of that is my obsession about how to make more secure software. Uh, and my book, Alice and Bob Learn Application Security. So basically you can kind of join the SheHacks Purple ecosystem and a lot or most of it is free. And you can learn a ton without spending a single penny. You'll just spend time. But outside of Tanya land, there's OWASP. So O-W-A-S-P, just like it, the branding's not great, but basically the Open Web Application Security Project is this group of people who are like me, who very, very much so care about the security of software and very much so want to share their knowledge. And so there are over 100 open source projects. It's crazy, Phil, over 100 that are active right now. There's, um, I think there's close to 300 projects in total. So some of them are retired or not active at the moment. They have several books that are free, like the testing guide. It's amazing. Um, they also have over 300 chapters all around the world. So there's one in the city I live in now, which is called Victoria, BC. There's one in my old city, Ottawa. They're all over the planet and you can see talks in various languages, which is extra awesome because I speak English and French, but not everyone in the world speaks one of those languages and they still make software and they still want it to be safe on the internet. Um, and so it's very uh, like an international organization, which I really like because then it's more accessible for everyone. And all of their local events are generally free, but then they have um, international traveling giant events that do cost money, but I feel are reasonably priced for the awesome value you get. And so it's this giant nonprofit of people that are just super obsessed and passionate about this. And so you can join that community. If there's one in your city, you can actually go meet other amazing humans. Um, but if you aren't mobile, and that is totally cool, they now, like, thanks to COVID, it feels weird to say thanks to COVID, but tons and tons of them now stream all their events online as well. So even though I don't live in Ottawa anymore, I can actually watch lots of their, their meetings, which is really cool. It's not the same as being there, but you can then watch stuff from OWASP London or Melbourne or Sydney um, while sitting in your home, wherever you are. And so their YouTube channel is just a wealth of knowledge, like thousands of hours of really high quality AppSec content all for free. Um, so yeah, there's some, uh, oh, and I forgot the thing that I said I had to remember to talk about. <laughs> um, so <laughs> for Alice and Bob Learn Application Security, I made a lesson that's free online for every single chapter. So I invited a bunch of my friends who have their own blog or their own show or their own academy to talk about each different chapter. So uh, for chapter uh, three, which was secure design, I had Adam Showstack. And I think I had Ray LeBlanc of Hello Secure and just a bunch of people that really know secure design. And then we talk about it for around three hours. And so if you go to YouTube 
and you look up She Hacks Purple, I have a channel and there is a playlist called Alice and Bob Learn Application Security. And so just all those lessons are free because I wanted to make it accessible. And I was like, I'm just gonna do it for free. That's the easiest way. And so <laughs> anyway, I invite everyone to check all of that out and I hope it's helpful. That's that's great. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, the dev slot, OS and dev slot, I've really been enjoying the content they've been putting out on YouTube and the, and the live stream. So really good stuff coming out there. Yeah, so Nancy Garishe is the head of the project now. And I, I feel like she really took the project to the next level in regard to video quality, sound quality, like just her level of organization. Like, I don't want to put myself down, but she is on the ball. And, um, and the diversity of guests, like every single type of person, so many different amazing like topics from all different angles with like live demos, live coding, live smashing of things. It's just, um, so I think the show was still good when I was doing it, but I think it's even better now. Um, and so I highly recommend it. There quite often, um, I'll work with clients and I'm like, oh yeah, just watch this dev slot video. She'll show you what to do. Yeah, it's they cover nice. some really, really interesting stuff on there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I kind of mentioned those resources. Another one I guess you should mention, mention is the Cyber Mentor Monday that you, you started. Yeah. Okay. So when I started doing security stuff, the way I got into it was my friend who was a pen tester just kind of pestering me. Like, he's like, you'd be so good at this. Come on. And after a year and a half, he said, I decided that I would never mentor anyone again years ago because it always goes wrong. And then I had to meet you. You have so much damn potential. And it, that's it. You know, I'm going to mentor you. You're going to be my apprentice. And I'm going to teach you everything I know because I just, oh, you'd be so good. Um, and he helped me get my first job. He hired me for my first contract. And there are just so many doors were open because of this person. And then I joined OWASP and the OWASP chapter leader, Sharif Kusa, he became my next professional mentor. And he's still my professional. He still mentors me all the time. And then I met another person, another person, another person. Like when I started my startup company, I was like, I need a mentor that knows about startups, not just about security. And so then I got mentors to help me with that and navigating like different types of topics. So for instance, like when I started doing public speaking, I didn't know what I was doing because I'd been a musician for so many years. I was really good at public speaking, but I didn't have a Twitter account for the first long time. Cause I was like, why, what's that for? It seems like a waste of time. Um, and I didn't realize that I could then be part of this online community. I didn't know existed. And so professional mentors really helped me change my career. And so people started asking me to mentor them. And I remember thinking, I don't know enough yet to mentor other people, but it turned out I did. And so a lot of the people that I have mentored, some of them now have way more followers than I do, but um, like they went on to become CISOs or to be speaking or starring their own company, etc. And so people started writing me and saying, will you be my mentor? Because you talk about your mentors and how much they help you. Like, could you mentor me? And I was like, oh, I'm mentoring five people. I'm going to be a crappy mentor if I keep taking on more and more. And they're like, but I need your help. I need to find one. So I have started several mentoring programs, Phil. So I started a mentoring program at my office. I am bad at matchmaking. Then I tried doing a mentoring program with OWASP. 
still bad at matchmaking. <laughs> Tried starting another mentoring program with OWASP. I still suck at matchmaking. So I was like, how can I help people match themselves? Because I might be like, oh, you love this and you love that. I think you're great together. Like 100% of the time I got it wrong, Phil. 100%. Like I made no good matches. So I'm good at other things, but not that. And, but <laughs> what I am good at is bringing people together and letting them choose each other. And so in um, 2018, I, I started just using this hashtag mentoring Monday on Mondays. And I'd say, do you need a professional mentor? Are you trying to take your InfoSec career to the next level? And the first one I did, Phil, it, I did one on LinkedIn and there was like 160 comments. And then as a result, it started crashing my LinkedIn. Um, and the LinkedIn people were like, what are you doing? Stop breaking LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> and I was working at Microsoft at the time. So it was extra funny because they own LinkedIn. And I was like, stop breaking your stuff, Microsoft girl. Um, they're very polite, just to be clear. Um, it's like, you know, you're part of the team. You're not supposed to attack us. I'm like, I'm not. Um, so basically, I, I figured out a lot of people really wanted to give back as well. So tons of people who have lots of experience would put themselves out there and say, you know, I'm really good at hacking internet of things. So if you want to learn about IOT security, like I'd love to have a virtual coffee. And so people just start pairing off. And I discovered very quickly, like 90% of cyber mentoring Monday was all in direct messages that none of us see. Um, and so at first it was mentoring Monday and then it got so popular. Lots of other groups were using it like universities, um, a women business group, like all these different groups started using it, which was totally cool. So then a marketing company came in and ruined it. I guess that's what marketing people do. Um, and they just automated like a thousand tweets every Monday and just drowned out anything that any legit community people were doing. So I held a vote because that's what I do, Phil. I, I do a lot of democracy. Um, and so I held a vote on Twitter and was like, what do you want to call it? And everyone voted for Cyber Mentoring Monday. And so we've been doing that, I think since 2019 or 2020. And I just started doing it on Mastodon as well. So Twitter and Mastodon every Monday, I use this hashtag and I try to pair people. And sometimes, um, some, sometimes it astounds me how many people will offer such generous offers. Like one guy told me, he's like, yeah, I met with 20 people from like your thread. And then I'm going to take on, I can't remember. It was like five people. He's like, wow. oh, and he's like, I can't say no. They're so awesome. <laughs> and so I, I now have many people that help me. There's this one guy that does a live teaching session every Monday as part of Cyber Mentoring Monday. So if you're listening to this and you're new and you want to get into this, either make a Twitter or Mastodon account, your call look up the hashtag. So it's the number sign or the pound sign or the hashtag symbol, whatever you want to call it, depending upon how old you are. I call it the pound sign because I'm old. Um, and then, so hashtag cyber mentoring Monday, all one word and use it. If you tag me, so I'm she hacks purple on like all the platforms. If you tag me, then it's easy for me to see you. And I will definitely repost your reshare your post to all my circles. Um, but if you don't take me, I might see it. I might not see it. I miss some of them. Sorry, folks. I do my best. Um, but you can use this and say, listen, I'm, you know, a software developer and I'm suddenly obsessed with threat modeling and I want to learn more about it. 
Um, you know, Cyber Mentoring Monday. Does someone want to have a virtual coffee? Does someone want to recommend a book to me? Is there a YouTube channel that I absolutely need to subscribe to? Tell me more. And then people will come out of the woodwork that are passionate about that topic. One recommendation is that you should make sure your private messages or your direct messages are open because otherwise they'll try to message you. And if it doesn't work, sometimes you lose out on that opportunity. And the other thing is, is say what you've already done so far so that you can show that you are willing to do the work. Because I, I have seen requests where it's like, yeah, I want to mentor and stuff. Someone teach me. Yeah, I want a good job. And it's like, well, that, that sounds really ungrateful and not very nice. And like, you don't, it's not attractive. So you are trying to attract someone that's going to invest time in you for free. And so saying how interested you are, topics you're interested in, what you've already done to try to learn, all of those things make you a much more attractive potential person to be mentored. That's, that's great advice. And it's really great to see all the involvement from the community and just seeing how people get out there. If they don't know a certain thing, how they'll retweet it or tag some some friends in their network that they know know this particular discipline. Yeah, and um, this lady started Data Mentoring Monday. And now data science has their own thing and it's been going for a while now. And it's so exciting to see it adopted to another community. And even though like, I don't know that much about data science, I'm currently taking a little course on it, but anyway, um, that's so exciting to see like this idea help other people. I do want to mention if you're going to mentor people, um, one confidentiality, yo, don't tell your mentee's secrets to people. That's important. Don't hit on your mentor or on your mentee. It is not a chance for you to meet cute girls or boys or men or women or whatever you're into. That's not cool. Um, advocate for your mentee. So um, I do, so like a lot of the mentoring that I've done is more about getting them the opportunity. So sometimes like if I'm mentoring someone, I'll watch their talk and I'll give them tons and tons of pointers. But then when I see they're ready, I start giving them opportunities like, hey, I got invited to speak here. So for instance, like literally today, um, I got invited to speak in London, England, and I can't go anywhere that month. I have a family thing I got to do the whole month and not traveling anywhere. So I wrote them and said, I can't make it. But I know someone super awesome who can, who's also an expert at this topic, but she's just less well known than me. And they're like, yeah, we want to meet her. And then when I'm on podcasts, I'll say, you know, this was really awesome. You know, I know someone else that, and so I try to promote, especially people that are from underrepresented groups when I have an appropriate opportunity. So I don't want to seem like I'm smothering the crap out of every person I talk to, like you have to hire my mentee or else. But if there's an opportunity there, I try really hard to like, kind of like hold the door open for the next person, if that makes sense. And so some of us feel don't realize how much power and privilege we have. Like we don't even realize it. Like I remember I was on a podcast and someone was like, Hey, like you're really great. I don't know if you've noticed, but you're the only woman that's ever been on our podcast. And I was like, Oh, and they're like, do you know other women? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I know a lot of other women. I might've found an international nonprofit about women that do that. Like, uh, yeah, I know. I know at least four. Um, and they're just like, do you have anyone you can recommend? And then I made this list and realized just how, and how many people I knew. And, and I wrote the women were like, is it cool if I give your email a name and like suggest you for this? And they're like, yeah, that sounds cool. And so then I started having to rotate people off the list because I'm like, well, you've been on four podcasts now. Like you've got this, you keep going. 
right? And um, just discovering like, oh, I have these privileges because of whatever I'm doing. Like for instance, um, when I was at Microsoft, Microsoft would pay for my hotel. And so sometimes I would share my hotel room with another woman speaker who couldn't afford to go otherwise, or she's paying it all out of pocket. Like, yo, mm. Microsoft's got this. Yes, don't tell Microsoft I shared my room. But anyway, um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like just like yeah. those little things or, or like I'm invited to this really cool party where lots of people will be there. And I'm like, cool, can I bring a plus one? And then I strategically choose that plus one. And so if someone's listening to this right now, you probably have a privilege or some form of power that you could share with someone else. And so I want to challenge our audience to think about that and think about what they could do to try to help someone else. Because once I started thinking about it, I saw possibilities literally everywhere. And so like just that one little thing of sending that email, introducing that lady for that podcast, like she might be flying to Britain soon as a result, right? And that's a huge opportunity for her. And like, she's very, very talented. I know I had her on my podcast already. Um, but so do, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, um, I feel like a lot of people don't realize how, how much power yeah. they have and how they could share it. I agree. One of the things we got to look at too, is some people aren't intentionally not trying to help people, but I think everyone, you know, like ourselves need to make a conscious effort to help others because one of the ways to make it better in this industry is to think of these other underrepresented people and, you know, help them out, refer them to other people and help them. It's just got to get, you got to share that mindset with more people. And I think it ultimately that's what it's going to take to make things better. Cause I don't think everyone tries to oppress or be prejudiced. They just don't think about it because they hang around with, you know, guys a lot of times when I hang around guys, but think outside your, your group, your small group. And, and as we can make that a habit, your friends can learn from you and other people that listen to you that you've influenced, you can do that. And, Yes, that's such a good point, Phil. Yeah, a lot of people, they don't even realize that they're just sticking to their own type of person, Mm -hmm. who they affiliate with. And it's like, actually, there's lots of other humans out there. They're interested too. I'm I'm sure that you remember um, Kim Crowley did an entire conference called DisInfoSec for people that are disabled that work in InfoSec. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. were really surprised by who was on that conference speaker list, like me. Um, And a lot of people, they don't, they might not realize that like, you're not the same place that everyone else is like your starting place is different. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think I feel like a lot of a lot of people are exerting big efforts in that area. And I'm starting to see some improvements. And that's pretty sweet. It's good. It's it's catching on. That's a good thing. And just seeing how conferences are evolving too, because you know, some of the and still need to get more women to conferences but it's growing, you know, several years ago, you didn't see as many because they didn't feel welcome. You hear stories of women going to conference, they'd be the only one there or the only few. They just didn't feel welcome there or felt uncomfortable, but it's good that that's changing. I like that some of the younger crowd, the younger generations, I think are catching on this better than the older generations did. Like the code of conduct type of stuff, treating women with respect, not hitting on people at conferences and stuff. It's, it's great to see that getting better and people feel more welcome. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, <laughs> I saw a code of conduct for a conference and it just said, don't be a douche. And I was like, if people knew what that was defined as for you, then they would know not to do it. But no one's like, you know what yeah. I'm going to do? I'm going to go be a jerk 
they don't think they're being, most of them don't think mm. they're being a jerk. They're, they're not like, I'm going to, you know, do whatever, the, insert inappropriate behavior here. Mm. Um, and, and they don't even realize they're doing the thing. And when you outline exactly what that means, um, things can get better. Um, yeah. Well, there's this group called WOSEC, Women of Security. Um, and that, and I have been a part of it for a long time and I helped write their code of conduct and we wanted to define very, very clearly what is and is not okay. And also we had like a special code of conduct. Like if you're a leader within our organization, people have to be able to come to you. And so we have to have a higher level of conduct than the average person. And if, if we can't meet that, we don't deserve to be a leader. Because I have seen, unfortunately, in other communities where someone gets into a leadership position and then they abuse that position of power or they <clears throat> never, ever, ever want to share it. Um, that happens with a lot of OWASH chapter leaders, not in the chapters I've been in, but I've heard about it from other chapters where it's like this one person's been a leader like 12 years and they just won't give it up. They won't let anyone else be a leader, etc. And so in our chapter, one day I was like, we need to promote someone else to leader and they can have my spot. And everyone's like, what? I'm like, no, I'm still going to volunteer. I'm not going anywhere. But leaders get, you know, a free ticket to the conference. Leaders get this, they get that. I'm like, I don't need that. I already have a place at the table, right? And I want to give that seat to someone else who's up and coming that I see this huge. But And so we ended up making two new leaders of our chapter and they're amazing. Um, yeah, and they like made their own OWASP conference. Anyway, I'll gush forever. But I That's feel awesome. like, oh, like it's really important that leaders are held to the highest standards. I agree. And that, that's good, as you mentioned, too, changing out leaders. Because one of the things for people listening, if you haven't really been part of any kind of different cybersecurity groups, meetup groups, OWASP chapters, is running those groups is so, it gives you so much exposure. You get to meet so many people. And it will help your career and help you in the community. So it's definitely good. And if if you're somewhere where there isn't a chapter, maybe consider starting a chapter in a WASP group or a local DEF CON group or some of the other women's organizations. It's a good idea to start those chapters. Because oh, yeah. when you get helping people, you'll you'll know this well since you've helped so many. Is it's you know, you don't really understand it's better to give than receive until you know you're helping others out and doing this volunteering and mentoring and just that karma credit or whatever a good feeling you get back is just so awesome you know nothing's better i have a funny story um so before the pandemic i moved to victoria bc the most beautiful place in canada um and uh i met my friend Vane, and her and i well i started a wosec chapter and then she joined me and i almost immediately made her a leader because she's just a leader do you know what i mean she's that yeah. person she's so awesome and then people kept asking me, are you going to open an OWASP chapter? Because we don't have one. And I was like, oh, you know, WOSEC's enough. WOSEC, a startup and writing my first book all at the same time. That's actually enough for me right now. But people kept asking about it. And quite frankly, I missed having my own OWASP chapter locally. So eventually, after like enough months, me and Vane were like, that's it. We're going to start an OWASP chapter. And we filed the paperwork and we sent it. And then um, Dawn wrote me and she's like, oh, four days ago, someone else registered one. <laughs> four days oh, wow. um, and so then I wrote them and was like hey guys what's up and they're like oh do you want to lead I'm like no no I want you two to lead it and I want to attend 
I want to be your volunteer. No, this is awesome. Ah, yeah, you, you. So, um, <laughs> so I'd like help them with stuff and they're, well, and then I got to make two new friends, right? Which is totally awesome. And anyway, I was like, this is hilarious because we've never had an OWASH chapter ever on the whole island and a million people live here. It's not that small mm -hmm. of an island. Um, and then like four days difference. I'm like, glad we procrastinated, Bane. Don't have to do that hard work now. <laughs> <laughs> Life's cool. funny, Phil. Yeah, it is. It is. One of the things, too, just kind of into the whole networking and stuff, wasn't it really cool? You know, we're still in a pandemic, but wasn't it nice to get out and get to see people that, you know, some of the people you've known for, for years and you finally get to meet them in person? Such a great feeling. It is such a great feeling, Phil. Oh, my gosh. It, um, I'm an extrovert, and uh, it the pandemic, like th this might sound silly, like I was doing okay, right? I wasn't like depressed or anything about the pandemic. But when I first got to go to a conference again, it was so exciting for me. It was like I was going to melt down. I was so excited. And um, it was Sector and I got to see Kim. Okay. And um, I hadn't seen her in years, right? And <laughs> I was just like... <sighs> Like, so, so like, like overflowing and it's funny. And my significant other is like, oh, did you have a ridiculously good time? Cause you're an extrovert and you love humans. And I was like, ah, <laughs> um, yeah, it, apparently I just like, I bounce around. I'm so excited when I get to see other people now. So yeah, I really, really, really love that we are having in-person events again. Yeah. One of the, one of the coolest, uh, meetings I had too is, you know, Gabrielle Buckle. She's a fellow Canadian, but originally from France. Oh my gosh, you know she's just such the sweetest person. Oh, yeah. So she's so so awesome to get get to meet her. I met her at RSA for the first time. And saw her at, during DEFCON and, and, and Black Hat, and got to be at the Women's Award Ceremony when she won the award for Hacker of the Year of the Year. And what what awesome person to present it. She actually got the award from Alyssa Knight. So that was really cool. Oh my gosh, that's so awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really, it's funny cause I was emailing her today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really, really like her a lot. Yeah. Um, I met her through WOSAC. I met so many amazing different humans through all these different communities. Like mm -hmm. people are always like, what do you recommend? I'm like, join one of these communities just completely selfishly so that you can make really cool people that you end up really liking and having like genuine long-term friendships with like I cannot tell you how wonderful it is like when I go to quote-unquote hacker summer camp or, or a place like that and I'm like oh my gosh I get to see you <laughs> like it's it's it sounds silly but I was trying to explain uh to my stepkids like they're like, oh, you have to go to work. Oh, that must suck. I'm like, no, my friends will be there. And they're like, oh, it's nice if your friends will be at work. <laughs> but it's true, right? Yeah. It's like a big, you know, summer camp is just like a big family union or a big class reunion. You know, we, you know, it's just so awesome to see these people you haven't seen. And, you know, I've been in powerlifting for years and part of like the fitness community. But in my opinion, nothing beats the cybersecurity community. Just some of the best people there. I mean, some of the people I knew from powerlifting as a lot of other relationships drop off, you don't hear from them, but yeah, it's just a lot different with the cybersecurity community. Just, I haven't seen as many nice and giving people in any other community before. Yeah. And I feel like, um, 
I feel like no time has passed when I see them as well. Like I, I used to play hockey uh, once or twice a week for many, many years, like ball hockey, because I'm Canadian and we have to do that. Mm -hmm. Just kidding. We don't have to. We just all do it. <laughs> we want to. Um, but I remember I heard I got plantar fasciitis, the bane of every runner's existence. Um, and so then I had, I had to stop playing hockey for like a whole year. And I was like really dumb about it, Phil. I like went back when I was still injured. I did all the stupid things because I just really want to play hockey. Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, they just like stopped calling me and inviting me places. And like, these were people I spent so much time with. And I was like, wow, apparently if I'm not playing hockey, I suck now. And with cybersecurity, like if I don't see someone or talk to them yeah. even for a year and then I'll see them and it's like not one minute has passed. And um, I like that. Or I'll just get a letter like this morning from Gabrielle and it's just like, hey, I didn't say happy new year to you yet. And clearly that was a mistake. So how are you doing? <laughs> right. And it's. It's very nice. I agree 100%. It is. Yeah, it's, it's so amazing. Just as you mentioned, you know, you kind of get away from certain people for a while. You just never hear. They totally forget about you. But just like you said, cybersecurity, they just don't forget Don't forget you. And it's funny how some people that you may have known online for a lot of years, and when you finally see them, it's like a long-lost friend that even though it was a virtual relationship, you know, it's like you've known them forever. It's just really cool. Yes. <laughs> Oh my gosh. There's this, there's this lady I follow online named Sunny Ware and I'd followed her for a long time. And I would always, and I tell people, which is the truth that Sunny Ware taught me the OWASP top 10 because she made a free course and hers was one of the first free courses. Like this was years ago and it was the, and I had no budget. And so then I could do the class a bunch of times and like learn it inside and out. And she gave all these examples, which was really great. And so I bought her book and I was very excited about her. And I ran into her at Hacker Summer Camp and like, I'm, I'm tall and she's quite tiny. And she came up to me, she's like, are you Tanya Jenka? I'm like, oh my God, and I just totally started bawling. <laughs> and she's like, she gave me a hug. I was like, <laughs> and I was like so excited she's very polite about me fangirling into complete destruction but um yeah and it was just it's so exciting to be able to see this person that I really looked up to uh, and still do and like just she gave all that for free do you know what I mean mm -hmm. and I'm just like who are these generous people and like we're just so lucky to have them yeah it's good that it seems to be you know contagious other people you see other people and you kind of inspire other people and that's what's really great too whenever you see people you've mentored or taught or just people are just kind of coming up in the community and you see them a year or two later they're wanting to mentor one of the things that i've been impressed with is people seem to want to do that earlier in their career now than kind of when i was getting started i see people that have been in their career maybe a year or two and they're already wanting to help mentor and help others just a lot of it was based on the experience they had trying to get in and they're trying to make it easier for others. You know what else, Phil? Like, so this is going to sound selfish because it is, but I find when I teach someone else, I learn the topic even better. So if I write a mm. blog post about something, so like right now I'm writing this giant breakdown of OWASP SAM, the security assurance maturity model, because so I like kind of know it. I'm like, I want to know it like the back of my hand. And so I'm like, I'm just going to write this giant guide about this and like try to break it down and simplify it in a way that works for me and then I'll publish the blog post and then that will help other people 
but really I'm like, I need to know this for consulting. So I always sound very smart. Um, and, and then I like, it's funny cause I'll reference my own blog posts and my own work so I can jog my own memory, but like I do that and then I learn it so, so, so well and it benefits me and it benefits the readers. Right. And I think maybe that's why some people are doing it earlier in their career because maybe they're re or like making sure they permanently know that instead of just mm. memorized it for a while. Yeah, that's kind of like the, some of the similarities with some of the content creators that were trying to get into cybersecurity and they started a YouTube channel. And part of it was for them to learn was originally why they did it. And then it just got to where they got such a following that they were helping other people. Yeah, with the DevSlop show, I did a lot of like live coding and like live building of a CI CD. And I was just like, if I fail, I fail tough. Yeah. It's a good lesson to show people. It doesn't go perfect because, you know, there's some people that might do videos of whatever you're watching some CBTs and nothing ever goes wrong, but people need to see that it's not always perfect. And not only, you know, you're not, not only showing them you're human, but let them see that, okay, you may run into this problem. You can fix it. Yeah. Um, I remember Nancy and I with the DevSlop show, we were trying to do this thing and for like four hours, we were troubleshooting something and we just couldn't get it. And so um, after Nancy's like, well, we really failed. And I'm like, well, isn't DevOps about failing fast? And so we took the episode and it, it was over four hours. And instead, it just was the start. And then I summarized like with just cuts. It's like then Tanya and Nancy tried this. Then Tanya and Nancy tried that. And like to go through our super intense troubleshooting that we did that brought us to the end. And, um, and the episode was called Tanya and Nancy fail. And a lot of people watched it and they're like, wow, you're troubleshooting like theory and like how you went through the things and eliminated possibilities was really helpful. And the fact that you didn't make us watch four hours, instead you made it like 27 minutes because of editing and stuff. And I did another one where I upgraded the .NET framework. So I went from .NET to .NET core and update it to the newest version of .NET core. And it took five hours because there were all these dependencies wow. I had to swap them all out. And I made that video. I, I think I called it Tanya the Bug Slayer because I also fixed a whole bunch of security bugs at the same time. <laughs> but the reason why I did that video is because I want you to see when you tell a person, oh, just upgrade the framework, just change out your dependency. This is how hard it is. Because so I, I don't know if you've had this, Phil, but people will be like, just patch it. I'm like, yeah. you putting the word just tells me you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. That's actually yeah. really hard. And so then I'd send people Tanya the Bug Slayer video. Like, there you go. We've taken it down now because now it's the DevSlop show is very fancy now. And that's why, you know, this is the pen tester. You need to see that kind of stuff because, you know, usually they're going in telling people, you know, this is how you remediate that. Oh, it's not a big deal. So it's really good that, for them to understand that it's more to it sometimes than what you think. Yeah. And quite frankly, like that video, it was five hours of live streaming and several people stayed the whole five hours with me and like, we did, we fixed every single bug and we upgraded the framework, all the dependencies good. And there's like, that's way harder than I realized. Like I got to update the way I tell developers to do that. So yeah, anyway, long story. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> I guess we're getting down towards the end of the show. Is there anything that you'd like to share that we haven't mentioned? Um, I would really like to invite people to consider joining the WeHack Purple community. There's a whole bunch of us in there. Everyone's nice. We do lots of events. So we have courses. Um, but the part that I like the best is um, when we kind of just hang out. So like 
someone will be like, I'm having this problem at work and then we'll all chime in and try to help or every few, this is a guilty pleasure, but I love sci-fi. And so like every few months we'll just have a sci-fi hangout and we'll all just recommend books to each other. And it's like, oh, I read this book because you recommended it last time and blah, blah, blah. And we just like all trade recommendations on everything. And it, I, I want everyone to know you are invited and no matter where you are at in your journey, you belong and you are wanted. Awesome. We'll be sharing information for that in the show notes so it'll be easy for everyone to find. Awesome. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for having me, Phil. This was really great. Oh, thank you. It was great having you. It was great to, you know, like you mentioned earlier, we didn't get to talk much at B-Size Las Vegas, but good to actually get to talk to you, get to, to learn a little bit more about your background. And so uh, I think the, the listeners are going to love this episode. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itsbmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.